the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One stock retirement. The following program is sponsored by The True Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy, a message about God's mercy and patience with a world gone wrong. Aren't you so glad that God doesn't treat us the way we treat Him? Amen? We question Him too quickly, too easily. But God doesn't answer our questions with, I'm done with you. No. In His sovereign grace and mercy, He continues what He begun. Paul will say, I'm confident that He that has begun a good work in us will perform it. see the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, are we to conclude that God isn't in control or doesn't care? Author, pastor, and Bible teacher Philip DeCourcy will be answering that question today on Know the Truth, offering the hope that comes from putting our focus on Jesus. And be sure to stay with us to the end when I'll tell you how to get Philip's newest book titled Take Cover. It's based on our current Maximum Security series. Now, here's Philip with his message titled Keeping the Balance. These are serious and scary times. We see the specter of Islamic terrorism both at home and abroad. We see all kinds of things going on in our world that trouble our minds and disturb our hearts. And so where do we find our peace and safety? And we've been looking at some passages in God's Word that will help us get a sense of peace and security. And so far we've got a few maxims for maximum security. Number one, we need to pray. Philippians 4 tells us to pray, not to worry, and the peace of God will guard our hearts. Secondly, we need to expect suffering. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 18. Don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised when you suffer. This is the lot of those that follow a crucified Savior. So we need to pray. We need to expect suffering. We need to believe in God's goodness in the midst of the bad. We need to believe in God's goodness. And you know what? As we look out on a wicked world, that truth, that theological reality will be challenged. But we've got to find our security in the fact that truly God is good to those that are pure of heart. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 73. Why do the righteous suffer? Why do the wicked prosper? This is the question that's been answered in the Psalm before us. And I love the fact that this psalm wasn't written in some classroom, in some theological seminary. It was written in the trenches of painful experience. Because Asaph was a worship leader in Israel under David. He was a choir director in the temple. We believe that he penned upwards of 11 psalms. But here he's telling us that what he was singing didn't square with what he was seeing. What he was singing didn't square with what he was seeing. Before long, Asaph is going to tell us his struggle 
with doubt, how he even envied the wicked, how as a worship leader he stopped singing. He lost his joy. He lost his focus. I love the humanity and the honesty of this. Look at verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. There's nothing plastic about this, nothing unauthentic about this. Sanctification doesn't come without a fight. To believe in God at times doesn't come easily. And the fact is that this man was tempted to leave the reservation. He was tempted to leave the community of faith. That's implied, isn't it, in verse 15? If I had said, I would read into that, hopefully not over-reading into that. You know, I thought about going public with my inner struggle. I was tempted to encourage others to join me. If I'd said thus, I would thus speak. Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. But thankfully, he steadies himself. Thankfully, he finds his balance. Thankfully, he thinks differently. Thankfully, he restrains himself. And this is a moment in the text where we pivot. He'll pivot from pessimism to hope, from doubt to faith, from introspection to worship, and that will bring us to the recovery. But just let me say this before we get there. Isn't there a lesson to be learned here? The psalmist admits that he was glad that he didn't go public with his struggle when he was in the middle of it. He's glad that he resolved it so that he could pass on a reflection. God is good. And it's good to draw near to God. You've got to believe that. Now, I know your belief in that will be challenged. The world will try and put a dent in that belief. That happened to me. Let me tell you my story. Now, that's helpful. That's edifying. That means his emotions are expressed, but they're packaged with theology and eternal perspective. And that's why we need to be cautious about this increasing call for authenticity in the church today, where, you know, we don't want any plastic smiles, and we don't want to be inauthentic, and neither we do. But if we're not careful, this call for authenticity can become dangerous as leaders and people with problems get up, and they spill their guts with no theological formation around it, and it hurts people. It doesn't serve any good. The psalmist serves a public good here. He talks about his fall, but he talks about his recovery. He talks about eternal perspective. It's just not emotion unleashed. There's the story of the blind man who carried a lighted lantern at night, and everybody asked him why in the world would he carry a lighted lantern when he couldn't see, to which he replied, I carry the lighted lantern so that nobody falls over me. That ought to be the case with you and me, especially leaders. We come to the recovery the recovery. We're somewhere about verse 16 here in the text. This man had a near-death experience, spiritually speaking, lost his footing, almost fell to a spiritual death, but he recovers, regains his footing, keeps his balance. And we read in verse 16 that things turn for the good. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until, it's a tipping point in the text, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you've set them on separate places. He goes on in verse 19 to talk about the fact that they will be brought in a moment to desolation. God's going to awake, despise their image. Wrong is going to be righted. Justice is going to be served. Pain turns to peace. Vaxation turns to relaxation. Warren Wearsby says the turning point comes when he stops being a philosopher and starts being a worshiper. 
He gets caught up in a vision of the God who is high and lifted up, a sovereign God, a good God, a gracious God, a just God, a merciful God, and now he looks at things differently. He looks at things from the perspective of the throne of heaven. To this point, he's been walking by sight. Now, Paul tells us, doesn't he? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, don't do that. We walk by faith and not by sight. To this point, he's been walking by sight. Now he's worshiping by faith, and he's been given a spiritual understanding of the fate of the wicked. Now, he changes his tune. We're told in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, bring every thought into captivity to Christ. Our thoughts can be like wild horses running off in a moment where we're scared or there's a big event happens and we get spooked like the psalmist here. He ran off in all kinds of directions, lost his perspective. And God helped him bring those thoughts into captivity to the truth that God is good, God does good, God works it all to good. And it's good to draw near to him and put your trust in him. That's also why Philippians 4, 8 to 9 says about the peace of God that guards our hearts it comes through prayer and it comes through thought. Think upon these things, good things, true things, and the God of peace will be with you. I love that. I've been a big Maggie Thatcher fan my whole life. And in 2011, I watched the movie, The Iron Lady. I had some issues with it, but generally I, I enjoyed it. Meryl Streep was brilliant in it. And as she played Margaret Thatcher, there comes a scene in the movie where Thatcher's in the doctor's surgery later in life, and the doctor says, Mrs. Thatcher, how are you feeling? To which Thatcher replies, what? What am I bound to be feeling? People don't think anymore. They feel. One of the great problems of our age is that we're governed by people who care more about feelings than they do about thoughts and ideas. Thoughts and ideas, that's what interests me. Ask me what I'm thinking. That's Thatcher. And it's a good reminder. We need to think more than feel. And we need to submit our emotions to the authority of God's Word and eternal perspective. So we need to think hard and we need to think long because the emphasis in this text is, then I understood their end. You've got to think hard, think theologically, perceive prophetically, and you've got to think long. You've got to keep the end in mind. We need to begin with the end all the time as Christians. In fact, the New Testament church lived under the pressure of the end. The imminent return of Jesus Christ to catch his church away was something that hung over them. And they lived under the pressure of that thought. And it brought sanctification, it brought urgency and soul winning, and it brought perspective, it fostered perseverance. Just for a couple of minutes, go to 1 Peter. We saw it a couple of weeks ago. First Peter was written to saints who were facing low-grade persecution that at any point could morph into something far more serious. And I want you to notice the emphasis on the end that you find in this letter because Peter's all about suffering first, glory later. That's the way it was in Jesus' life. That's the way it is in our life. The cross, the crown. Suffering, glory. There's the now and it's nasty. There's the then and it's glorious. And look at how he emphasizes this. Look at chapter 1, back up into verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, in the nasty now, for a little while, you're going to be grieved by trials. It's going to get ugly. But look at this. God's going to use that to test your faith so that you may be found, end of verse 7, to the glory of God at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at the second coming. 
whom, having not seen, you love. Even though now you do not see him, you believe. You rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. Look at verse 9. Receiving what? The end of your faith. It's a muddle in the middle. You've got to fight your emotions. You've got to fight the temptation to think that what you're seeing now is how it is and what it will be. There's the end. There's the end of the story, and it changes everything, and it helps us to persevere. It helps us to worship. It helps us to know that to suffer in righteousness is worth it. And the wicked, well, they're having their little moment in the sun. How awful for them. In fact, at some point, you move from envy to pity and a heart for them because they're like the passenger's in the dining room, in first class, on the Titanic. They have no idea what's coming. And we've got to keep the end in view. Scoot over to chapter 4, verse 7. What does Peter say? He says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and be watchful in your prayers. There's the word again, the end. They lived under the pressure of the end. Look at verse 17. As he talks about the fact that God uses persecution to purify his church, Verse 17, the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey? Get a concordance. Get yourself a Strong's concordance or a Young's concordance. Or now your phone will do it for you. Amazing little tool. And just in your English Bible, just search the word end. And how often you'll find it in the Bible, in the New Testament. Keep the end in mind. In fact, begin with the end. It'll help you keep your sanity. It'll help you keep your spirituality. It'll help you keep doing the right things in a world gone wrong. I don't know if you know this, but it took over seven years for the novel Gone with the Wind to be written. You've probably seen the movie. Although I believe now it's not politically correct. Finally, it was published in 1936. And the interesting thing about Gone with the Wind is it was written by a female author, Margaret Mitchell, and in 1926, she wrote her first chapter. It took her seven years to finish the book. But here's what's interesting. The first chapter was the last chapter. She actually wrote the last chapter first. And in over seven years, she'd come back to the book. And she'd pick up where she left off. And it was the end that gave her perspective. She wrote everything. She perceived everything. She crafted the whole story in the light of the end of the story. How fascinating. Seven years to write it, but she began with the end, and that gave her perspective and power in her writing. Ought that not to be the same with us? Brothers, you're going to receive the end of your faith when Jesus comes. Brothers, the end of all things is at hand. Brothers, what will be the end of the ungodly if God judges the church first? Keep the end in mind. You see his enlightenment. Secondly, his encouragement. This is where we wrap up. Asaph admits that he's been a bad actor. I'd like to develop this, but time doesn't allow me. And we've kind of touched on this about his honesty and his humanity. Look at verse 21. My heart is grieved. But he's not grieved now by the thought of the ungodly prospering. He is grieved. He is heartbroken at his stupidity and his arrogance in the presence of God. He's basically saying, to think that I questioned the goodness of God. I wondered if it was good to be good. And he admits that with some embarrassment. He says, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. 
The word beast is the Hebrew for behemoth, carries the idea of something like a hippopotamus. If we were to write it in kind of modern English, if it was something like the message, it would come out something like this. I acted like a bull in a china shop. I went bumbling into God's presence, giving off and complaining, you know, like a dumb animal. How embarrassing. Lord, could you forgive me for that terrible behavior? And then you've got verse 23, but nevertheless, God does forgive him for that behavior. This is enlightenment. This is encouragement. Ashev admits he's been a bad actor, utterly embarrassed. He went so far as to question God's goodness. He was a disgrace to grace. But the silver lining in the whole thing is that while he was losing his grip on God, he admits here that God did not lose his grip on him. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You promise to receive me afterward into glory. Lord, who have I in heaven but you? I desire no one on earth but you. My flesh, my heart feel, but God is the strength of my life. He is encouraged by the embrace of God's loving kindness. I love that little word, nevertheless. It's really saying to us that this psalm could have had a very different outcome. I mean, he could have lost his faith. But we're so glad for God's sovereign grace and God's sovereign mercy. We're so glad that our salvation lies in the purposes of God, not the will of man. We're so glad for the doctrine of the believer's security. As my friend John MacArthur said to us one day at a board meeting at the Master's Seminary on this issue, if we could fall from him, we would. But we can't. Because we're saved not by the will of man, but by the will of God. And what God purposes to do, He will do, and He won't let us go. He will save His people, and His people will persevere. Although they'll stumble, they'll persevere, because God will be continually with them, holding them up. If we could fall, we would fall. But you see, we're in the palm of His hand, inscribed there. We're, according to Jesus, in the Father's hand and in the Son's hand, and no man can pluck us from His hand. God did not abandon the psalmist, verse 23. God promised him future grace, verse 24 and 25. And God poured out his strength into him. Aren't you, aren't I so glad that God doesn't treat us the way we treat him? Amen? God doesn't treat us the way we treat him. We question him too quickly, too easily. But God doesn't answer our questions with... I'm done with you. You are a waste of time. You really annoy me. I've had enough. No, in his sovereign grace and mercy, he continues what he begun. That's why Paul will say, I'm confident that he that has begun a good work in us will perform it. And the psalmist admits that nevertheless, he held me by his right hand. 2 Timothy 2.13, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. I'm so glad that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I'm so glad that Jesus Christ said to his disciples, go tell Peter. When I was a young Christian, it didn't take long to dawn on me that I was still fighting, remaining, and indwelling sin. And that to be anything like the Lord Jesus, to grow in grace, to progress in sanctification, wasn't going to come easily. I've always liked the title of one of Charles Swindoll's books, Two Steps Forward, One Step Back. 
seems to be kind of realistic about our walk with God. That fight for sanctification, getting momentum, that's a fight. And I was shocked and saddened by how easily I still sinned after I got saved. Now, I think I've grown in grace and drawn upon the grace of God to a larger degree, and I'm winning that battle a little bit more, but we're always going to fight remaining sin. We're always going to fight indwelling sin. That's why John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. But here's what the Lord said to me through his word. This was a lifeline that God threw my way. Psalm 37, 23 to 24, where it says, though we fall, we shall not utterly be cast down. For the Lord upholds us with his right hand. And one day I was out walking later on in life. I'd found my wife, and June and I had had our first child, and we were out walking, and, and Angela had her hand in my hand. She's a toddler, kind of walking like, you know, someone that was drunk, stumbling and bumbling along. And she would lose her footing quite often, as all little children do. And my habit often was, as we were walking, and she fell, I could feel the tug as she went down. She fell, but she didn't fall far, because I held her. And I'd often just whip her back up onto her feet, and we'd keep going. She does have shoulder problems, but, you know, you get the picture. I love the picture. And as I was doing that one day, I go, Heavenly Father, how many times have you done that for me? The psalmist tells us God did that for him. I stumbled, I slipped. I almost let go, but he never let go. Whipped me back up onto my feet. God is good. He's dedicated to those dedicated to him. You gotta believe it. Your emotions will tell you one thing. Your sight will indicate another thing, but faith sees the end. Faith keeps an eye on a sovereign God who is good, does good, and works all things together for good, and it's good to draw near to him and the wicked will perish in the psalmist says, and I will declare his works. And he has. And he's here to tell us, I left him, but he never left me. Though we fall, we shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord opposes with his right hand. So here we are in a very wicked world. These are days of insecurity. We're lacking in peace. We wonder what tomorrow brings. One, let's pray. Two, let's expect suffering. And three, let's keep on believing in the goodness and the justice of God. Amen? Lord, help us to hide this word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. You're listening to Know the Truth with our teacher, Philip DeCourcy. In this current series, Maximum Security, Philip points us to Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace and the God of all hope. Order the complete study on CD when you visit ktt.org. At Know the Truth, it's our mission to present clarifying biblical truth through Philip's straightforward expository teaching. But we can't bring you these bold Bible teaching messages without your partnership. That's why today we hope you'll sign up to become one of our monthly Truth Ambassadors. Your monthly donation of $25 or more will help advance the gospel across the country and around the world. And as one of our Truth Ambassadors, you'll receive special resources like our Accord newsletter, a monthly live video devotional from Philip, and much more. Call us at 888-644-8811 or sign up online at ktt.org. Now, however you choose to give, with a one-time gift or a monthly donation, we'll send you Philip's newest book titled Take Cover. 
This highly anticipated book begins with Philip sharing some of the lessons he learned while serving as a police officer in Northern Ireland. The balance of the book outlines a biblical plan for finding our security in Christ through prayer, worship, and a firm stand in God's unchanging Word. The book, Take Cover, comes to you with our thanks when you make a generous donation to Know the Truth. Call us today at 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also mail your gift to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And if you're new to Know the Truth, we'd also like to send you an entirely free resource. It's a bookmark that summarizes some of the key points from Philip's Take Cover book. Ask for the Take Cover bookmark when you call 888-644-8811. That's all the time we have today. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Be sure to be listening again next time to Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. WAVA values your input. Take 20 minutes and tell us what you like and what you'd change about WAVA. Go to WAVA.com keyword survey. As a thank you for helping us serve you better, you'll be entered to win one of three $250 cash prizes just for completing the survey. Completing the survey is required to enter the contest. Visit WAVA.com for contest rules. Thank you for helping us serve you better with the WAVA listener survey at WAVA.com keyword survey. We see you trying to prove something by not taking a vacation. It's backfiring. You see workers who take time off are more productive, more creative, and more likely to get a promotion. While you were in that meeting trying to nap with your eyes open, you could have been crushing Friday with a wine tasting, a mountain hike, or a beach day. Don't be a work martyr. Pack your bags for adventure. Vacation inspiration is available at Virginia.org. This message is sponsored by the Virginia Tourism Corporation. For more information, visit Virginia.org. The turkey comes and the turkey... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.